0: You you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really really scary now. I trust you. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you
1: Blood and Black Rum Podcasts, and the Halloween.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColesFallitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> table just moved on me there for a 2nd while well, <laughs> not used to this new setup. I guess you're not. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's uh, hopefully hopefully for the better. As we get uh, we settled into our new house and your new house, not mine, new podcast. Yeah, we don't live together.
1: We unfortunately,
0: could. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We get settled into our new house. Got a little bit of a new setup here for the podcast, and hopefully, uh, you know, be a nice new place for us to uh, do our show. Hope you like it. Yeah. Um, So today, we are continuing our um, Halloween series. We're – what are we on? Number three? Four? Four. We did Black Sabbath. We did (laughs) – I gotta remember now. (laughs) We did Tales from the Crypt. That's right. And then we did um, Creepshow last week. Now – so now – and like I said, we are going through the eras. But we are – Actually going to stick to the 1980s for this episode as well.
1: And we're going to go from 1982 to 1983. We're jumping a year
0: here. <laughs> Shows you how good the, the anthology series were in 1980s. We're just going one year <laughs> forward. Um, 1983 should be a giveaway for what we're going to cover on this one. Um, guys. Yeah, (laughs) that could be it if you were not going with an anthology series, but the anthology film from 1983 should give it away. Directed by Toby Hooper? (laughs) You wish. (laughs) No, it's got the other people from from the 80s, the other main directors from the 80s who did fantasy and horror. Steven Spielberg? Joe Dante? Technically, Spielberg didn't do horror. That's true. It's true. <laughs>
1: sci-fi, fantasy. John the, Landis. Yep. John Landis, but not known for sci-fi or fantasy. Known for his comedies. Yeah, and horror. American Werewolf from London. More of a dark comedy, I'd say, than horror. So. Yeah.
0: Definitely did. Zeus still do horror though. Can't discount him for that. But I, yeah, a lot of a lot of. Uh, I know, but comedies. his his,
1: I say, his main works known like Animal House, mm-hmm. Blues Brothers. Yep. Trading places. Yeah, a
0: lot of, lot Coming of comics. Coming to
1: America, which you still haven't seen. Yeah, I got to see that one. It's true.
0: Um, and then the last one was is George Miller. George Miller. Mm. Fun. Nice to see him here. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the, the four big players of the 80s. Um, a lot of them known for doing anthologies, not just with the Twilight Zone in the movie. Uh, which is a film that we're covering today, but also with many other types of um, films and uh, TV series. They, they all did their share of anthologies. Um, Spielberg probably most notable after the Twilight Zone, the movie for his amazing stories, which was a TV <laughs> anthology. Uh, so Twilight Zone, the movie certainly has a lot of backstory to it. It's got a lot of baggage. Uh it's one of John landis's i would say the thing that keep maybe hopefully that keeps him up at night <laughs> uh in terms of mistakes that were made uh it, and you know what a lot of the controversy of this film stems from um just an accident that occurred on the set, and there was no one held liable for this accident um but it did taint. The Twilight Zone, the movie, in a way that doesn't happen with many other films. The Crow being another one that sort of has a, a cursed legacy behind it. And even, you know what? Steven Spielberg has his fair share of cursed legacies. How about the Pol- how about Poltergeist? Which also is purported to be a cursed film set. But uh, let's talk a little, just before we even get into the movie, let's talk about the, uh, that's very tragic happenstance of helicopter accident gone the helicopter gone rogue decapita- decapitating Vic Morrow and also two uh children actors uh who were unfortunately illegally working at the time of the accident um I, it's just something that's really stuck with the film um if you know – if you've heard about the Twilight Zone in the movie, you probably have also heard about the accident. I don't think they – I think they go hand-in-hand hand now,
1: right? Probably, yeah. You're not thinking of Burgess Meredith being your Rod Serling, you know. Yeah, right, yeah, playing narrator, Rod Serling. Or, you know, Dan, like, oh, there's Dan Aykroyd, you know. Usually, I think the, usually the first thing that gets brought up is like, hey, people were killed on that movie, weren't yeah, they? That's, the, that's that's one of the big movies where people were killed on,
0: yeah. Um – it was an unfortunate accident, uh, very tragic, very it's probably one of the most brutal accidents that has happened on like on a film set, I would say. Um, and it has not only tainted the film itself, but tainted John Landis's legacy, um, especially since Steven Spielberg had uh, kind of disowned their friendship after that it all occurred and Landis went to court and uh, sort of had to explain why he was using legal children on a set and um you know the whole the whole ordeal was just a mess but uh you know things happen unfortunately Well I
1: to say unfortunately he put the children the actor in that situation but from what I've read the accident was you know nobody really at fault you know yeah. just
0: Yeah and that happened I mean so you try to make the set as, as safe as possible, obviously, but there are always gonna be stunts and um scenes that are just, you know, inherently dangerous and unfortunately I think the biggest issue is that it put children in danger. You know, Vic Morrow is an old man and in Twilight Zone incredibly racist. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just joking about that, but um, you know, but putting the children at risk like that is a little, you know, unsavory, but the accident occurred and there's not much that, you know, they could have done about it. But uh, it did have a profound effect on Twilight Zone. And, you know, the other thing about it, too, is that it sort of had the opposite effect in that it brought a lot of attention to the Twilight Zone, the movie. I mean, you would think that some people were like turned off by the whole process. But at the same time, that negative press brought a lot of attention to the film. Um which is interesting.
1: We all like the macabre. That's true. Yeah, so we yeah. do. Yeah,
0: that's partly why people are drawn to Twilight horror. Zone stories, So and horror in general. In horror in general. Um, one thing I'll say before we kind of take a break from talking about the movie and get into um, our beer talk is that Twilight Zone the movie, for most of the runtime, and the runtime's is about a hundred <laughs> minutes, um, for most of it, it is not a horror movie. It's more of a fantasy series, What you actually end up getting uh, is a series of fantasy stories and then a couple of horror stories that kind of come in towards the end of it, um, which is sort of like what the Twilight Zone had. It was never always about horror. It was sometimes sci-fi. It was sometimes fantasy, sometimes adventure. Um,
1: no, which, and In fact, I'd say like the whole like prologue and epilogue are very like kind of out of place from Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, they do seem a little bit, uh,
0: you know, especially in this film, they seem a little out of sorts with what we get from. They're, they're too goosebumpsy. <laughs> yeah, before goosebumps even existed, but they're too, they're too goosebumpsy. There's, uh, it's, it's almost like that weird sting of like we got to get them early, you know, especially that first scenario, the the prologue that John Landis wrote uh, with Dan Aykroyd and and um, that seems like it just doesn't. Entirely fit with the rest of the film, especially like when you then launch into Times Up, or I'm sorry, not time Times Up, um, time out, which um, seems like like it it seems like a jarring change from this really this sting of horror to a more fan- fantastical historical element, um, that has sort of like a. You know, a moral point to it mm-hmm. It definitely seems out of place. But but for the most part, the Twilight Zone, in the movie is uh, is like a fantasy series rather than a horror. When we, we've covered mostly horror for this uh, Halloween special. But the Twilight Zone is is uh, definitely a sort of a step away from that, trying to get more into the fantasy realm.
1: Now, before we have our beer talk and break it down even further, out of these four short stories that are in here, which are all based on episodes, how many of them do you recognize?
0: Um, actually I only recognize one, which is really? Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. Yeah, oh, that's awful. Shame um, on you. I don't recognize any of the other ones. I'm trying to think of I don't think
1: I've seen any of the other originals. Yeah, I've seen um the only one I've never uh, that I can't remember ever seeing is the Spielberg one. hmm The um, fucking kick the can. Kick the can, yeah. Um but the other three well, I Well not seen. all
0: of them are based on Twilight Zone episodes either. So are you sure that Kick the Can is even a Twilight Zone episode? I think only three of them actually have are based on a Twilight Zone episode. Well, I think you know, that
1: would be makes sense then because that one's the least right. Twilight Zone-y and Yeah, the, no, I agree. With that the as most well. just Spielberg being Spielberg. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think that
0: I think three of them have been based on um Twilight Zone actual Twilight Zone episodes, and then there were two that were not really, and I and I honestly don't know. So which ones do you recognize as Twilight Zone episodes?
1: Um, the twenty thousand, obviously, because I right. had Shatner. In oh it. sure. Um, the story before that that I have uh with the kid, the telepathic kid, it's okay, scaring yeah. everyone. That's
0: that uh, one. I definitely don't don't recognize at all. Never saw that one in uh. In a Twilight Zone episode. And I believe the first one is too. Timeout Out is, yeah. is another one that – Yeah. Probably not as explicit. Yeah. But definitely part of it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, like I said, I just – I don't – I've never – I don't recognize any of the other storylines. I know that Richard Matheson wrote quite a few of them. Um, and if you know about Richard Matheson, he was also – he was a prolific writer, horror and fantasy writer – um, he wrote some story, some novels like When Dreams Make What Dreams Might Come, which you might know from the Robin Williams movie. Um, but he also wrote a ton of short stories that were used for a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. Not only that, but he also wrote Duel, the film about the crazed runaway truck. So, yeah, he's uh, Richard Matheson was a a big part of the Twilight Zone. And so uh, his stories are reused here again in this film um, to great effect. All right. So uh, let's take a break from talking about Twilight Zone, the movie for a second. Um, And we're going to actually have a plug here. Time for another plug for one of our friends uh, podcasts, And you probably heard them on here before. uh, The Real A.K.A. Truth podcast. Uh, Real Real aka Truth is a podcast that stands apart from others. The Real aka Truth guys discuss trending topics, celebrity news, music, sports, life, the world around us, and more. For beneficial things such as exclusive episodes, ad-free episodes, early access, or to join the Real aka Truth community, become a listening member on Himalaya and search Real aka Truth. You can do so by downloading the Himalaya podcast app or go to himalaya.com. Real aka Truth is also available on over 20 podcast apps and formats. Don't miss out. Go check those guys out. Definitely worth a listen. And definitely uh, check out that Himalaya app. I know I sure will because I don't know anything about it. So I'm going to check it out and see if uh, it's useful for us as well. All right, so on the show today, um, as you know, we've been kind of working through Oktoberfest for our Anth Halloween series Uh, all month long. We've been checking out different Oktoberfests. I thought I'd spice it up a little bit today and uh, go a different route and get something that was not an Oktoberfest but was still part of the festive season. And so instead of Oktoberfest today, I got the Allagash Haunted House, which is a hoppy dark ale. Now, I've never heard of ha- Haunted House at all. This is the first time i would ever seen it.
1: Uh, the only gas I think we've ever had is their white.
0: I've only ever had their white. I know they make a couple others. Uh, I've never had them before, but I know they make a couple others. And um, on untapped. it says it's uh, Belgian Dark Strong Ale. Yep. Um, definitely was interested in it. I was not interested in the price of it. But I was still <laughs> interested in the uh, the actual content of the beer. Uh, again, because I have had so little Allagash that I was really – I wanted to get it and also because it was fitting for the
1: season. So I got it. They even, they even made sure to make that A B V B 6.66%.
0: 6.66, really? Like some guy was in – was doing chemical testing to make sure that they could get that 6.66. Like how much sugar do we need in this one?
1: Do you think every, t- every sip you had, did you hear Iron Maiden's number of the beast playing? Yeah. Uh. I did actually, and I saw Damien out of the corner of my eye.
0: <laughs> so the yeah, the haunted house is a hoppy dark ale, um, which is not a very common style. Uh, also, so that's another reason why it stood out to me. Um, it has sas hops in it, and it has a couple others. Uh, what hops? Saz. <laughs> not familiar. Saz. You know, Saz. Wood hops. Those ones that grow down the street. <laughs> um, so it it combines the, the hop flavors of that with also the uh, coffee, strong porter-like tendencies of uh, a darker style beer. Um, and you're getting a lot of that coffee, toffee, maltiness along with the hop flavor that I think pairs really well together. Um, this was an interesting style that – there's just not that many of. And I really thought that they did a, a good job making sure that they got both profiles in this. Um, no, Not an overwhelming amount of hops. Just enough with also that, you know, coffee-ish porter taste to it. And I really enjoyed it. Which nice, is weird. Dark-
1: huh? I was going to say, which is weird, because I, I agree with you on flavor profiling. But like I said, on untapped, it's described as like a Belgian strong ale. Yeah. It doesn't really taste like a...
0: Not like a strong eel you know, that we've had, you know.
1: Before. Well not like an old no, I'm saying like not like an old ale, but like just like a regular like you know, when you think Belgian you think mm. you know, you always get like the nice coriander and fruits and
0: Right, and that banana like yeah. yeast
1: to it. Yeah. And, and, and that's just
0: not present at all.
1: No. Here it is, you know, especially with like mouthfeel, very like portery. hmm mm-hmm. Very, you know, soft and Velvety. Cool. Yes.
0: I would say. Velvety taste to it. Um, yes, I, I, it's a really good beer. It's very rich. Um, so it's definitely not a session. This comes in 14 in in four, um, tall boy cans at 1499, a four pack. Uh, so it's not one that you're going to rip through. Um, and I will say that saying that we only had one can a piece uh just because it is a it's kind of like a special occasion beer.
1: You can rip through it if you're New England rich.
0: That's true. Well, I'm not even saying that just because of the price of it, but also because um it is just a very strong beer. I mean, it's it's it it has a lot of flavor to it and so I don't see myself, you know, sessioning it, and drinking a bunch of them at a time. It's one that you savor. Took me a while to get through it. You know. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So But anyway, I would definitely recommend it. Definitely check it out if you can find it. Um, this is the first time I had seen it. So, if it's around, grab it. I would I would check, check it, out. it out. Even though it's $15 a four pack. That's a little on the expensive side, but treat yourself. You deserve it. That's what I did. I said, "You know what? I don't know when I'm going to see it again. I'm getting it." All right, so Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah, nice and awkward pause there. (laughs) All right. I wanted to give me a second if I wanted to splice an ad in there or something. Mm. Just like throw an ad in there for uh,
1: a little behind the scenes. Yeah,
0: or uh, what's the – what are some of the ads? Like uh, uh, Blue Apron, you know. Blue Blue, Blue Apron
1: in there. Get a box of food shit. Oh, what the hell is it? Um, the Omaha Steaks? That's, yeah. That blue pill thing that you talked yeah, about? Yeah, blue chew. Blue. Yeah. Get your penis hard.
0: Chewy.com. <laughs> Stuff like that. We're just giving them free advertisements yeah, now. That's how you get them. That's right. All right, so Twilight's on the movie. Um, this is a film that I had never seen before. Never right. have I. Seen bits and pieces of it. I remember the first part of the film, the prologue with uh, Dan Aykroyd, Uh, I think because it's just been shared a lot as sort of a, I don't know, a fun little segment for this film. But I've never seen the whole thing. And like I said, I don't really recognize any of the stories besides Nightmare at, uh, is it 20,000 or 30,000 feet? 20,000. I I always forget the uh, exact footage of that.
1: The that more and more I think about really it, like when it comes to the first story, maybe I'm thinking of a Star Trek episode.
0: Oh, you! Th- oh, <laughs> you're misremembering the uh, the timeout.
1: I, 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 again for the last two episodes, I know are definitely Twilight Zone episodes. But, but maybe first the first one. maybe the first one I'm confusing with the Star Trek episode. I'm just not sure. Yeah, because they're very premises. similar. I mean, yeah. Star Trek's just Twilight Zone space. That's true. It's true. Yeah. So that
0: prologue, so we, t- we kind of talked about it a little bit, but there's a, you know, it's a pretty, f- it's kind of a funny opening, Dan Aykroyd singing.
1: Very disjointed from the rest of the film. D- yeah, very,
0: <laughs> very, <laughs> very standoffish from the rest of the film. Um, do you think that the scare is effective? No. It's called uh,
1: Something Scary. No, it's fucking terrible. You didn't like it. No, the mask is awful that they put on Dan Aykroyd. They use, like, tiger and lion sounds for this, where it's like, <gasps> it, like, the most stock and canned, <laughs> like, cat, like, growls. It's awful. Absolutely awful. I don't know what the fuck John Landis or their sound engine, what the hell they were thinking.
0: Okay, so, well, you so you didn't like the scare, but do you like Dan Aykroyd singing? <laughs> Surprised he didn't whip out a harmonica. <laughs> go to town. That is all right. He looks so young in this movie. He does. He's he's just he's just a baby in this You're one. You're thinking
1: that, you know, if it was a road trip with him today, it would just be him babbling on about aliens and ghosts and ghouls. And, yeah, I think that would be like buy, ro- buy my goddamn vodka.
0: Yep, that. I'm um, saying, new Ghostbusters coming soon. Coming sometime. <laughs> I ain't afraid we of no ghosts. We don't want ghost. to do it. Aye? And uh, then, then pulling out a... Uh, um, like a harpsichord or something like that. That's that's what I imagine Dan Aykroyd being like now. Also wearing um like a Newsy's cap because I feel like that's what that's basically Dan Aykroyd now in his older yeah, age. You know, he's got those like you know like old man glasses that he wears too. Yeah, Chevy Chase got racist and stuff, but Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, lost, Aykroyd he's just uh lost his mind. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: just, yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know. I think the segment's okay. I just, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really feel like a Twilight Zone episode so much. Maybe it's not supposed to, but it also doesn't really open the film that well. As like a, you know, like here's an o- here's a look at what's coming, or yeah, no, or even like a jointed. wraparound
1: story. Like it makes sense for like a creep show or something. Mm, yeah, right. But here, it's just yeah, it just it doesn't very destroyed, tacky.
0: Doesn't do the job, and and even worse is the epilogue. Which is like basically the same idea. And when you have Dan Aykroyd and John Lithgow in the car t- in, the, in the ambulance together, you would think, like, wow, Should this is. Should be fucking a, gold. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you can't lose, right? Oh, but, yeah. and I think that that squandered even more in the I epilogue. just love
1: the fact that when he pops the tape in, pops that old cassette in, and Lithgow's, you know, tied down to the gurney. He's like,
0: Hey! <laughs> I love credence. Livkow <laughs> just had the most traumatic experience he's of his z- life. He's and like, he's like, wait a second, is that CCR? I love Credence. Yeah, are
1: not special. You know what?
0: That's that's why I've heard just a rumor that they play CCR at all the mental asylums. Helps them. <laughs> they feel better. <laughs> yeah, it's just Sorry, I mean sanatorium. Let's be '80s uh, sad, realistic yeah. here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just—I don't—I don't think that the well. I—I I think the prologue is okay. I'll say that, but the epilogue is just a waste of space there because it's literally just a minute of oh hey Dan Aykroyd's back playing that same guy. He's going to play CCR again, and then we get that cutaway of the ambulance speeding off.
1: You want to see something scary? Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't really make much sense. Sounds think, like a bad pickup line, like when you're driving your girl down the road. And yeah, it's just like you know, you're talking. Like, oh, you want to see something scary? Here's my dick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Honestly, I'm more surprised that they didn't go with something like, um, and obviously it, not Rod Sterling, but sort of like that whole you know narrator steps out from the shadows and sort of gives the rundown of what's going to happen in the Twilight Zone.
1: Yeah, you know what? What a waste of Burgess Meredith.
0: Yeah, just. Real quick narratives in the beginning of each story.
1: And then especially at the end for them to just, you know, use Rod's, you know, kind of like, oh, it's like the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's, it just doesn't have
0: the appeal that Rod Serling had. And Rod Serling was also a master of vocabulary too. He was very good at putting together like
1: colorful phrases. Things like that. That was obviously, we'll see. That's perfect for Burgess Meredith, the penguin, the Batman show. I mean, constantly using alliteration
0: and puns. I I would say that the narration here is not written as well as Rod Serling's, it doesn't have that punchy, you know.
1: And not only that, there's not not enough of it really to it's a very short description. So, like I said, like you know, so Burgess Meredith as the narrator's is very yeah. underutilized. I'm,
0: I'm I'm also, so I said, I'm surprised that there was no like opening Rod mm-hmm. Serling pronouncement, but then also I'm surprised that none of the stories when they end have any sort of like moralistic explanation mm-hmm. from the narrator, from Burgess Meredith about, you know, this is why we've seen this. This is, you know, this is what happened in the twilight zone. Um, it just sort of, it seems like the Twilight Zone in in name alone when they do it like that because it's got half of what makes the Twilight Zone the Twilight Zone, but then it's missing the other half. It just seems like all of the stories sort of end abruptly and then lead into the next one.
1: So they Spielberged it,
0: I guess they did. Mm. Even though Spielberg only really directed one of the stories, I know, but he produced it. You can
1: tell just by oh yeah, Spielberg overall on the production. It's a spiel. You know, his
0: blueprint is all over it. Jerry with Jerry Goldsmith's. Score. Spielberg was,
1: like, literally behind the scenes. Listen, couldn't get John Williams for this, so Jerry, I need you to John Williams it up. Uh, That's what I want, because that's all I ever use, is John Williams. So I need you to make sure that you make this as fucking whimsical as you can.
0: Very much so. Very much soaring violins and... Uh, cellos playing up the low score and then violins just projecting outward and all kinds of orchestral shit going on here that
1: is very, this is going to be something that they're going to use 10 years later for Forrest Gump. God damn it. Yes. It's very, and
0: also uh, some of it is, um, like cartoonish in the way that it sort of sounds like the stock score from cartoons. Um, just just not something you know when you think of like a uh, fantastical scary stories you don't think you of don't really think yeah
1: fucking of the hook soundtrack
0: <laughs> yeah you don't um all right so let's talk about we'll the, get
1: into that more yeah, we get right to Spielberg's
0: yeah. little yeah cuz it's mo- mostly a uh, Spielberg complaint but um let's talk about the first short which is called Time Out stars Vic Morrow um He plays a very racist old man who's having difficulties accepting the fact that a Jew took his job. And Blacks live down his road. Yep. Blacks live down his road. Brings it up at a bar with his friends. Uh, Hey, fun note. One guy from Black Christmas is in this movie. Martin didn't recognize him, but I sure did.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. My bad. My bad for not recognizing anyone not named John Saxon from that movie honestly I don't even know his, that guy's name i
0: I honestly don't, but I still recognize him from black christmas so well, why don't you tell us what that recognition is? Well, he plays the death sergeant in black Christmas, the one who is pranked by uh giving the getting a uh incorrect and I don't really understand this because I don't – I wasn't around at that time, but it gets, they get an, they're given an exchange. and I don't really get this exchange, but it's F-E. So something about an exchange in, with the phone numbers. And so this, I'm, I'm actually not dating myself because I have no idea what that even fucking is because I wasn't around at that time. But mm. he gets the fellatio exchange. And Black Christmas. Yeah, you'll have to ask your parents about that. I, I guess I will. Yeah, I'll ask my parents <laughs> about the fellatio exchange. I don't understand it. What's the fellatio exchange? Um, but yeah, that guy's in this. Really quick, really quick. Just a, just a friend at the bar uh, for Vic Morrow's character. But he's in it all the same. So Vic Morrow is expressing his... Uh, openly racist. Oh, yeah. His, his discontent, we'll call it. With pretty much every race besides old white man privilege, <laughs> uh, even when there's like three big black men behind them at the bar, and uh, so he's
1: he's he's mad at the Jews. He's mad at I love too that the black guys, you know, like hey, if your friend doesn't you know shut the hell up, we're gonna kick his ass, and they're like, sorry, he lo- he's having a bad day, he lost his job, and he's like.
0: Like, okay. Carry on. Carry, Carry on. on. It's, okay. Carry on. It's, okay.
1: it's okay. Okay. I know how you feel. Yeah. That black guy lost his job lost his job once to a Jew too. It's okay, yeah. you know. Carry but on. Anywho, and like, so what are you saying? He's like, Oh yeah. Anyway, I lost my damn job to a Jew and there's black people and then I fought in Korea. And it's just <laughs> great. Like how after the black guy's like, Hey, keep it down with your, you know, open racism here. And he's like, after getting sternly talked to, he goes right back on the kick. Nothing's gonna keep him down this John landis uh
0: short just pulls no punches either with all of the uh racial slurs that it that Vic Morrow utters just right out there in the open um and then Vic Morrow is transported back in time to Nazi Germany to looks like it was more vichy france yeah they were and they were also speaking uh they were speaking French at one point I believe yeah, it looks so, like
1: it was like occupied France, so it could be yep, yep, it makes sense. Um but it's just making me think of like Inglorious Bastards meets uh Indiana Jones. Yeah. Because it has Spielberg, you know, blueprints, so he's like does. Oh, I just got done doing a movie with, you know, Nazis and stuff. Uh you know, with Harrison. Let's uh put them in the Twilight Zone. Wouldn't that be a great idea, John? Be a great idea, John. We're do- that's what we're doing. <laughs> put Nazis in your story.
0: Um He also encounters uh The Klan.
1: Yep, yeah, the Ku
0: Klux the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and he uh, falls into the swamps of Vietnam, of Vietnam and encounters that, and you know, it's Vietnam because playing psychedelic rock.
1: Yeah. There's uh Hendrix, uh, foxy lady. That's right. I just love the fact that they're on a patrol in the middle of the night and someone's blasting, you know, Danny, <laughs> Danny, <laughs> Yeah, no, he's I mean, supposed to be doing recon out there, you know. Yeah, they'll never know. Never know that, you know, they're rolling We're up. That they're coming. They've got one guy in the back that's just like, his duty you is to carry the boombox. Me I mean, it's not this... It would have happened because it was the 60s, but it just makes me think of like, when you think of like, like uh, like 80s dance movies, like, you know, uh, Electric Boogaloo and whatnot, like mm. some guy just walking up with a big ass boombox box. Yeah, that's what, shit, that's what he's doing. That's just a- like, you know... <laughs> Walk into the battlefield, he's got a he's rifle in hand, boombox on his shoulder. He's like, Yeah, it's blast, It should have been blast and fortunate, son, seeing as yeah, they know. had the whole credence, you know. Yeah, um, this, this,
0: uh, this short's not my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say that because, and this is not technically their fault, but it's very ill formed in its and how it plays out um there's no real conclusion to it it's it just literally these events occur and then he's shipped off to concentration camp at the end of it and that's it that's that's all he's got you know it doesn't uh it doesn't really have much going on in the way of storyline it's just um it's just lacking um i don't know nuances to
1: it what's that I wasn't gonna say nuance or co- cohesion. Cohesion,
0: yeah. Um it just seems like events happen out of nowhere and he's just transported to these different you know, periods. But other than that, there's not that much going on with it. I just um I guess you know it has good production values. I'd say that.
1: Yeah, it's got that Spielberg look.
0: It does. I just don't think that the uh the storyline's that engaging. Because you don't get that much out of it at the end. Um, yeah, he was a racist guy, and he's punished for it. Has a really bad day, a really bad day. <laughs>
1: gets shot. Um, Worst shots ever from the SS here. Yeah, just, just missing left and right at him. Oh, not and only the and the one. old oh, poor Gunter goes toppling out the window for no reason. <laughs> And guy just falling, <laughs> just falling out the window. No re- I like too that the one guy, when Vic Morrow is standing on the ledge, the one guy's like pawing at him from the oh. window like a fucking zombie. Yeah. When he's there's. Like, and then the <laughs> other can't. one goes through the window and just runs right through and falls to his death. It's just.
0: <laughs> the most ineffective uh, soldiers ever. Just. The it's, one, like, yeah, it's like the,
1: Hogan's Heroes or something. The, the
0: one guy's just like trying to get him and he's clearly like in reaching distance but he's just kind of like <laughs> yeah. reaching, you know, reaching his arm out half-heartedly. I don't know. There's like 30 of them too in that room. Yeah, but then they also they show great marksmanship later on when they're shooting at him when he's on the ledge. And they're like missing him on purpose. Are we sure about that? They maybe, probably, maybe they weren't
1: missing him They on were probably purpose. trying
0: to shoot him like, God damn it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This one, and I know it's not their fault. This one just ends too abruptly for me. It would have even been helpful if you had uh, Burgess Meredith to come in and give some sort of narration on the end of it, like, yeah, he learned his lesson because he was tortured and, even, and gassed. By- I was say
1: even if, <laughs> even if it ended the way that they uh, wanted to, like of him, like getting going back to Vietnam and seeing a chopper fire at the children, he saves them. Does it make him not racist anymore because he saved two children, or is it because he saved two Vietnamese children? Yeah, that's a good question. No. I don't know. You have to. I guess you have to come.
0: Well, I mean. I don't know that, I, I guess it would matter how they, they played it out. Like, at first was he like, fuck these children. Yeah, they all should die. Well, there's nothing there. Right. I just, I, it depends on how they would play it out, but you're right. I, even, even so, would you just say like, well, he's not going to let two innocent children die or, you know, but he still hates their
1: race? Right. No, but he never said anything against Vietnamese people. He said stuff about Korean people. That's wow. true. Well, he said he hated the Korean people because he fought in the war. He fought in Korea. And then he starts, you know, saying gook, which isn't, you know, a racial slur for Vietnamese, I mean, for Koreans. It's a racial slur for Vietnamese people. So I'm getting a little mixed up here. Yeah. I don't Yeah,
0: I don't know if it would have been effective no matter what. Um, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's
1: very on the nose, too. I honestly think they didn't need three different scenarios too for this to play out. It would have been fine if it was just he hates Jews because a Jew took his job, or if he hates black people because right, and just, know, and just do one of those, and just have one scenario, yeah, <clears throat> play out and play out in more detail.
0: It's just a little too much to have all three going on because
1: if he, especially you know, knowing people at the time, if he hates one of them. Well, hates the rest of them too, so, you know.
0: And the other thing is that it is, it's is—it's pretty jarring too when we only see the um, Nazi part of it twice, but everybody else is kind of skipped out. You know, he's, he's in those scenarios uh, one by one, and then Nazi Germany rolls around again, and then he's shipped off to a concentration camp. So it's weird to visit with all of them one time except the Nazis. So, I don't know, it just doesn't all gel together. Again, partially not their fault, you know, events outside of their control. But um, I don't know that the story would have been good regardless. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't. This one does not seem like a Twilight Zone, like a like an actual episode of the Twilight Zone. It seems. Uh, of, I
1: might be thinking like I said, yeah. I might be thinking because there's a Star Trek episode from the original series where they go to like a planet that's um, their technology and stuff that has view gone towards Nazism. Right. And that Kirk and crew have a fun time, you know, dealing with Nazis.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's possible. And maybe this was changed up quite a bit for the uh for the movie, but it just seems
1: you know, a little, little weird for that one. I don't know. Well as I was gonna say from my Red Online, it's based off of two different stories. Mm-hmm. One of them's based off of like a U.S. soldier in the Pacific Theater in World War II, which that didn't sound familiar to me. And the other one's based off of somebody who was like a former SS officer, like hiding out. Mm-hmm. That one seems a little bit more familiar. It's been a little while since I've watched, you know, some Twilight Zone. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, but, not,
0: not my favorite, episode, not my favorite segment
1: of this. Well, unfortunately, it's not the worst. It is not the worst. That's true. (laughs) Because the next one is dog shit.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, the next one is, uh, kick the can, kick the can, which is a Spielberg directed, uh, short starring, uh, Scatman Crothers as a youthful, exuberant,
1: uh, song of the (laughs) South-esque. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Coming to make all the people happy. Yeah, he
0: uh, he shows up at a nursing home. I guess not a nursing home, but it's just like a home for elderly. And he's uh, concerned that everybody's sort of not allowed to do anything fun because they might hurt
1: themselves. Uh, Medical technology, you know, medicine was so far then. Can't have these old people moving. (laughs) They might die. They could break a hip and that's it. You're done. They had life alert then.
0: I've fallen and I can't get up. Um, but he's he's very concerned about these people, so he invents a, a game night for them where they can go and play kick the can. Well, I don't think he invent kick the can. No, I meant the, he he makes he makes a game night for them to to celebrate their youthfulness.
1: And he's got magic. He does. Um. In every three I, seconds, you got the whimsy picking up even more and more steam. You know, I don't know what kick the can is. You just fucking kick a can. Is that it? I don't
0: because fucking that's not. not how they're playing it in the movie. I don't know. They're like. I always thought it was just you kick a can because you're poor. So it's I don't know. Like- He's playing it like he drops the can. Then he, like, goes and finds someone that's hiding. And as he's finding someone that's hiding, someone else kicks the can. I, I don't know.
1: I, I, don't, I don't understand know. It's the just, game. It's one of those old school games that, like, I never learned. Like, four square. We had a four square, cert, you know, elementary you know, mm-hmm. school. Did anyone know how to actually play Foursquare? Oh, I mean, and they also talk about jacks, too. Like, anybody
0: our age ever played jacks. <laughs> so I don't know
1: the game We had well.
0: pogs, and we didn't even know how to play pogs. That's true. I don't know the game very well, but I understand the storyline behind it. Even if I don't know the game, kick the can. So they're all they're all being their youthful selves. They're envisioning themselves as youngsters, rap scallions, playing games, and then they become little youngins. They revert back to their younger selves, and
1: it just gets like this is literally has to be Spielberg's like little brainchild before he did hook it has to be yeah i mean it's literally like hook minus there's no robin williams and like or you know to be peter pan because they're all just like the lost boys and like the, it's wow. very very
0: similar to peter pan especially even as the kid the one kid that doesn't want to go back to being he looks like el- him. elderly he's basically peter pan yeah. and literally he flies out the window I thought – I was hoping he went crashing and burned up the <laughs> table. <laughs> and Crothers is like, no, you can't leave and just forces him to fall from the window. Um, yeah, this, this one is really all kinds of messy. I mean I, I get it. It's uh, it's sort of like a feel-good story about how people have their younger selves inside of them and you're only old if you feel old and you're only old if you act old. I get it. Um, But in – the scheme of the Twilight Zone, the movie, it's very out of place because you just have Vic Morrow dropping n bombs all over the place <laughs> in the first one, and then you have this very nice feel-good story in the in the second segment. It just seems very out of place, and I don't I don't think that it works very well. And and again, Spielberg is like all over the place with this one, with a very. Heavy touch on like let's make people feel good about this from the from the music to the um, over the top Scatman Crothers performance of him just like having a gigantic grin on his face all the time in a almost very like. Sc- spooky way i was because, almost
1: hoping he'd turn out to be a candy man right like a either.
0: like the like a bad person who's <laughs> like
1: yes yes all of you fall down and <laughs> break your hips they're um, not actually turned youthful he's just stealing
0: their youthfulness yeah he's stealing their souls and beca- <laughs> yeah and then he goes on to the next nursing home that would be a good story this one is just kind of falls flat because again I get the I get the point of it, but it's almost like a Reader's Digest story of you know feel good proportions.
1: The, the Jerry Goldsmith score is really what makes it super annoying. Oh yeah, just it's, how over the top, like whimsical it is. It's very over the top. It's just it just keeps going too. It just keeps building. It's like – like it reminds me so much of either like Hook or like Forrest Gump at like at the end. Where, like I got the AIDS baby and Jenny's dead. And <laughs> there goes the leaf. It's just,
0: I just uh, – I just had a hard time getting into it in general Um, as a story as a – I mean it's got a nice – I guess it's got a nice heart to it. Um, Yeah, you know I, what? That's not what I want in my Twilight Zone movie. You want – Moral questioning. You want philosophical um, deductions. I want bleakness.
1: <laughs> well, not all Twilight Zone stories were bleak, but yeah, they were, but none of them are just this balls to the wall. Like I'm so happy. Yeah. It, it,
0: again, like you said, this is Spielberg's Peter Pan. Really, I think this is this is his take on it, and it basically is a, a picture perfect um rendition of it w- where it sort of even has like the same ideas of it where that one old guy is like hook who's like no you can't have yeah. fun you can't be a kid again <laughs> you can't go to neverland i also question the uh the whole thing about like some of the people who don't want to revert back to their younger selves they're like i don't want to live through those people dying again well they're already dead lady you're not going to live through it again they're dead so just you know You know, they're not going to die again. You just get to be young again.
1: That's all. No, they get reverted too. So their corpses are. That's that's a little. <laughs> they you know, come little back nug- as well. The little nugget you didn't get to see. It's kind of like with, um, creep show. It's like you know, like zombies just wandering around. I actually kind of find it funny that Scatman Crothers
0: at the end isn't like, you guys don't like being young, and he's not like offended and hurt, and he's just like, I'm going home then. Never mind. You know, I, I'm taking the magic bag, and I'm going home.
1: Steals their souls. I thought right? I'd do a nice thing for you, and you know what? Never mind. What a nice job he has, though, just going from like home to home and making them feel... I brought a little tin can. Yeah, until he dies. No, I think he's, the, I think he's that age forever. He just stays that way? Yeah. A kindly old
0: man with a smile that envelops his face (laughs) radiance so he's the joker that's right yep this is the worst one this is the worst i we can definitively say now this one's the worst one of the twilight as i told
1: you too the older i get the more and more i watch like spielberg films that are like this it's very hard very hard for me to get through they're just like so over the top Maybe we've changed as a Like, because uh, if I were to watch, like, Jurassic Park now, and that big reveal, and that big, we're yeah. Here. Welcome to, I just think, shut the fuck up, John Hammond. Shut the fuck up. Stop being so <laughs> optimistic about everything, John. <laughs> this is going to go to shit. Maybe we're just super, super jaded now at this point. I'm sure somewhere in, like, Saving Private Ryan, he, like, shoehorned in, like, some whimsy as they're all, like, dying on the battlefield. yeah, Yeah. I know there is a whimsy in the way Tom Hanks dies. Like they make- J- Jonathan got his leg shot off by cannon fire. But, yeah. but you know what? He saw his wife
0: one last time. And that made all the difference. It's just, yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the worst one, it's for sure.
1: Just- definitely
0: a waste of 25 minutes or however long it is. And it feels that long, too.
1: It's a waste of Scatman Crothers. That's true. Yeah. Cute kids, though. Cute kids. They were kind of obnoxious. (laughs) You know, the one like, "I don't want to be young again." With her little gap, little Susie gap tooth and blonde hair curls, like, "I don't want to be young again," and have to go, "I want to be old
0: again." I guess the one that you can most relate to is the old guy who's just a curmudgeon.
1: He's like, yes, you guys. there's kids in the bed. <laughs> there's kids in. <laughs> I like to have this old folk home. It's like an orphanarium. There's like ten of them crammed into like a single cot. <laughs> yeah.
0: The um, the one uh, the housekeeper or whatever's got her own room. Yeah. Like
1: nice robe. Kind of like Tales from the Crypt with the the uh, the man. Oh, the, the blind. Yeah, the blind. The, uh, the, the house. House. Yeah. You know, Yeah, she's like, you're going to sleep with no heat tonight. All these blind people crammed in, not blind people, but all these old people crammed in, ten cots in one room. Oh, they're just living out their best days, aren't they? (laughs) The golden days. You'd think they want to move around with, like, probably all the back aches and pains, those, like, single cots they sleep on. Does she call
0: that, uh, the one boy the rapscallion? Is that, is that the word she uses? I thought so. I thought so. Uh, I ragamuffin, wanted. ragamuffin. That's what it
1: was. Yeah. You like, little ragamuffin. I'm like, I haven't heard that in a long time. Look at that ragamuffin.
0: <laughs> well, the lady that's taking care of them is just about as old as they are. Well, she cause it's, it's a great. As soon
1: as she retires, she's <laughs> a bed right. You know That's true? It's <laughs> true. Have to go hard to collect that pension right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the third
0: story is is called uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." Our no, I'm sorry. It's a good life. It's a good life. I was going to say. It's a good life. Holy uh, shit. Copyright infringement on that. It's a good life. Man. good life, yeah. And uh, this what has this a really great, great movie in it where okay. our protagonist... Just back over, kid. With a car. Helen Foley and her AMC <laughs> and just We're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great, it's awesome. It's just great. Shot. Almost had a fork. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It can really her be when She backs <laughs> over. It's. I'm <laughs> laughing about it because it happens, and it's very, it's very quick. And the funny thing is that Helen just got upset She's in, her, in the bar getting rations because, because the I was in a bar. It was a sandwiches. I'm and sorry, s- diner. Which,
1: by the way, on that diner it said sandwiches and seafood. Ugh. What a combo. Oof. Hey, you know what? I got my clam platter. In like a nice turkey sandwich too to go Ooh, with it. Yeah, yeesh. sounds terrible. And your diner coffee,
0: black coffee too. Diner smells sounds smelly. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she gets upset because a guy uh, ambushes the kid as he's playing uh, an arcade game because which he thinks would, it's fucking uh, interrupting
1: the TV signal. Which I don't even know what fucking arcade game was he playing. Oh, I have no idea. Like, I was looking at it, I'm like, Dad, I did they just, like, make up a machine? I think they might have made up one. It, did, I don't, it didn't they look like They couldn't just have, like, fucking... Centipede or something like or that. Or Space Invader? It's, you know. Yeah. Sorry, kid, can't afford, at the time, probably, like, what, a $100 arcade cabinet?
0: I'm also co- confused. <laughs> did, did arcade games really mess up TVs?
1: As far as I know, no. I don't know how that would be a thing, but... All I know is after looking at that arcade cab, I want to buy a Neo Geo. Yeah. Remember the Neo Geo back at the High Rollers? Yeah. a metal slug on it? Yeah. yeah, yeah good times. <laughs> um, so this, the guy throws him off
0: the arcade machine, and Helen gets really upset. Like, how dare you assault this boy? He's just minding his own business playing a video game, well, you and know then what? she storms I think, out.
1: I think, though, that guy didn't know about the kid being, like, super psycho demon powered. Yeah, that's but true. But I think the guy who owns a diner does because he keeps you know cow like, hey, hey, t- hey, cow hey, 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 hey. into the you know the kids will you know like oh and you know. just leave
0: him alone yeah yeah
1: maybe maybe he knows so I mean I think we probably the whole town's in on it you know right right but uh,
0: then I just like that you know Helen got so upset about that that she storms out goes gets into her car and proceeds to back over him and his bike <laughs> it's a hilarious sequence this is really <laughs> something you just have to see to. Appreciate, appreciate it appreciate it, yeah, well shot too, definitely realistic in in terms of how <laughs> how he's backed into um so then Anthony takes her home and uh um, has him has her meet his uh family, who is all very much like coked leave out. it to beaver, sort of uh coked out yeah or coked out, you could say that too, um just basically bowing to all of his whims, serving. Uh, peanut butter hamburger sandwiches, which I think is really funny because that's basically
1: a they're, like, new oh, thing. That, they're like oh, they're that's so you know so disgusting, so weird, and it's like you go to like any like craft like gastropub now, like when like one of the things is like we got uh bacon peanut butter and jam burgers, you know, yeah, PB and J burger, that's a thing
0: now. I haven't tried it because I just. Although I will say that the burgers that were in this look like disgusting McDonald's burgers slathered in peanut butter.
1: Well, they're like like sawdust patties. Yeah. They're like yeah. paper so, thin. So I will agree with Helen on that one that they did not look very appetizing. I do love too when um she's like questioning it and shit, and they're all like, huh? And the kids like, you never say anything about this.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> she says,
0: "You need he needs his nutrition." He's a growing boy. Oh, it's a birthday meal. The one girl's (laughs) like, not another fucking birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It is pretty funny though. And I do like how um, this short kind of expands on, you know, first we meet this really weird family and you're like, oh, well, you know, yeah, they're very clingy, but nothing, you know, they're not ignoring Anthony like he said they are. And then you start to see it over time, like it morphs into – they're scared of Anthony, and then you see the, the whole power that he holds over them. And I like how it sort of expands over time. It takes a little while to get into that.
1: I like how the upstairs all of a sudden turns into, like, a Tim Burton Yeah, with, with the girl like, who has in no the mouth. Bl- and yeah. bl- it just goes bl- all black and white. and Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a very trippy uh,
0: segment from Joe Dante, um, especially once you get towards – the end of it where you have the rabbit being pulled out of the hat um the uh whatever the thing is like the cartoon character thing that's conjured by anthony um that's sort of like that was no tex avery shit no it's it's strange and kind of fun in its own way even though the
1: uh effects aren't really as good as probably, you know, you're used to. Just imagine the Twilight Zone having somebody like a cartoon in the background of like somebody wielding an axe and chasing them.
0: The cartoon <laughs> seg part of this is is actually even though it's really goofy and the cartoon itself, the CG or the graphics aren't really that good. You know, the green screen effects that they're using aren't that good. Um the cartoon itself is sort of like the itchy and scratchy show of the Twilight Zone movie. It's like uh you know, it turns into a very like graphic, um, cartoon show, which they do
1: have like constantly running throughout actual cartoons because like they do have like Tom and Jerry yep. and stuff going on,
0: and and then the sound effects are well used in that they're very much like cartoony, like uh, slide
1: whistles and stuff. yeah,
0: slide whistles, you know, um, xylophones and <laughs> you know stuff like that. That it actually does a very good job of of making the. The cartoon, playing up the cartoon nature of the the segment, Um, I like this one quite a bit. Actually, I think it's a fun little segment. I think it runs a little long, uh, especially like in those transformation sequences with the the cartoon character that he brings to life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that the uh, how it expands throughout the the segment is really good, uh, and it sort of puts that zany, um, you know, twisty element into this this short. No, I agree.
1: I like it. Um, I think a different flaw I would have with it, I mean, it is too long. I just don't like how neatly it wraps up mm-hmm. into her being like, help me be mm-hmm. a teacher. We're gonna be we'll all teach you. You know? Yeah. That to me, like, I was like, no. Yeah. I
0: mean, was the intention that she's always, like, searching for him at this, like, you know, juncture? Or maybe, it, like, it, he, like, willed it? Yeah, it doesn't really, you know, there's not really a... Uh, a final say on that I matter. mean,
1: from what we get from how he acts, he's not evil.
0: You know, he just has he's godlike powers. Yeah. and, they, and, and he, he's a kid and he doesn't really know what to do with yeah. them, so he's using it. So he's
1: I get with them not going the whole, like, you know, Rick, Toss, <laughs> Tommy, you know, route. But I think that would have been more enjoyable than just, you I know. I mean, I
0: think you get it in some parts where you can see, like, um, the uncle, like, is very scared of the hat. He's like, fuck, what has this kid conjured up this time for me to pull out of this
1: goddamn hat? I know, but he's a kid. So yeah, I know. You know.
0: But but you can see, like, so, sort of the fear of, like, he's done this shit before. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I don't know that they ma- – I think they make him sympathetic, you know, that he's a kid. He doesn't really know what he wants to do and he's bored and – you know, he's using his power. It's sort his of like, idea. He's like, I do
1: everything for them. They get to sit home and watch cartoons all day. Yeah, they're like, it is great. They're not, not realizing, like, that would be fucking dreadfully boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? only, only children like you like cartoons <laughs> that much. Yeah. Why not you graduate to anime, kid? Come on. <laughs> Macross is out now. Who watch Macross. Well,
0: I, th- I think this one is actually a pretty good short. It works
1: well. I think. Yeah. I like I said I just a little too long. Yeah. I think it could have I think it could have done better if the cast of the family wasn't just hovering around them the entire time. Mm-hmm. Make them kind of I mean, it shows like the like how like they're afraid of them. I think it could be could have been done better if they're more like more like all kind of like separate and like Yes Anthony. Oh, what do you want, Anthony? Instead of them all just sitting there cheerleading. That got to be um I think grading.
0: Yeah, and then and then there's also the fact that a lot of times that like, they're all talking over each other, so that's another grading aspect yeah. of the of the film. Yeah. you'd be like
1: the kid, like just like shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I could see that. Um I still think it's probably
1: one of the better segments on this one. And it's like Greece; they just drive off into the heavens. Yeah, everything's <laughs> fine. And
0: the, the even funnier part would have been if they ended up showing like Helen actually kidnapping Anthony, like she imagined the whole thing. She's kidnapping Anthony. He's like – got his hands on the on the passenger <laughs> window me, like, help, help me! me. She,
1: she, she's taking me! She, she chloroformed
0: me after she hit me with the, butt in the car. <laughs> the much more sinister Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our last segment is obviously Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which is probably one of the Twilight Zone's
1: series most – uh, well-known episodes. Um it stars a very handsome and most talented Canadian thespian in the name of <laughs> William Shatner. Um, it's been a while since I've seen the actual
0: episode Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, but I remember it being pretty effective. Um, I don't remember how closely it hews to this segment in the Twilight Zone movie. I think this one goes uh, quite above and beyond what the actual episode does if I remember correctly. Um, but this one stars John Lithgow
1: in William Shatner's role. Who at some points in that in the beginning in the bathroom kind of looks like Jeff Daniels. He does, yeah. He's got that sort of like um, long-haired
0: wispiness to him. A uh, little bit of stubble going on. Young at this time, John Lithgow is. And, uh, Despite very, the
1: hairline. Yeah,
0: very sweaty. Very <laughs> sweaty in this entire segment. Um, he plays. He plays a guy who has written about computer chips. I don't really know why that's very relevant to this this movie, but it does come up. Um, Not just he wrote a textbook. Yeah, he wrote a textbook. I don't. I don't know why that's so relevant in here. Like, I don't know why they needed to.
1: I. I don't. It's been. That. It's been so long since I've seen the actual episode. itself. Maybe Shatner was like a writer of some novel or some book.
0: Yeah, it just seemed like there was a reason why they would bring that up. And then it never really comes. Maybe they just wanted to cement it as like this guy's not wouldn't seem like a crazy person because he's he's rude.
1: Well, you think about it because it's like about computers, it's all about logic, you know. Sure. So So his logic
0: of being on a plane, trapped on a plane and thinking about dying is really not that logical. mm
1: -hmm. But yeah, so I get it. Maybe maybe it's the,
0: uh, the irony of him being writing about computer logic and not you know, seeing the logic in everyday life, but, um, seeing the troll out
1: there. That's, you know,
0: yeah. Um, but this one kind of goes up. Uh, it, it, it goes a lot further into John Lithgow being very terrified of his plane flight. Um, he's, it's not just that he's scared of what's outside or the, you know, the lightning that's happening outside, but he's scared of like the entire flight. And uh short does really get into the claustrophobia of planes. I'm thinking about that first part of the segment when he's in his in the bathroom, and it, it's filmed with like a fisheye lens, so that everything is sort of distorted. So you get that like claustrophobia of being in a really small area, mm-hmm. which I think works
1: pretty well. Um, uh, if like, I were him, I'd be very angry if I was taking a shit and some like somebody is knocking is not, on the door, knocking like Mister. Mister, you've been in there for quite a while. Yeah. Like, well, I've got massive diarrhea. Yeah, you know. I stopped at Red Robin in the <laughs> other airport. <laughs> ate some airport sushi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I don't want to fly. Just like the, the thought, of, like if I had to. IBS. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I'd be able to shit like on a plane, but it would be like, oh, I'd be like, I can just imagine. Unpleasant. Like, yeah. And And, and hot. Because every t- anytime you're ever sick, what's the pl- – all you want to do is you just want to be home. You want to be in your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, and, and I can just imagine, you know, especially it,
0: in this – in that plane, which probably has no air AC or anything like that. That's a
1: unpleasant shit. But <laughs> – but it does have smoking and it does have a lot of leg room. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I know you said I've never been on a plane before, but I point out to you like there's no way in hell you get that much leg room on a plane. This
0: one actually. So his seat actually has two windows and that's very uncommon for a, a plane. You know, you normally only get one window, even if that. Sometimes you're stuck and you get the unlucky seat where you're like you you're in between a window. Right, so you just have like the side of the plane. You know? <laughs> you're in that you're yeah, in that seat C- at Fenway that's blocked by the Yeah. You're in that unlucky seat. But yeah, he's got a lot of leg room. That's great. So that, even so like the this segment tries to play up the claustrophobia of being in a plane, but us us uh, contemporary viewers have a hard time you know <laughs> seeing that since he has so much room. Uh but what I do what I do like about that again is that they'll um they did a lot of zooming in on Lithgow And then zooming out to show, like, people looking at him from different, like, parts of the seats. So, like, the people behind him, the older people that are looking at him and staring at him. And then the guy in front who's, like, the police officer on the 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 air marshal. Yeah, the air marshal. So they do a lot of that, like, zooming out to show, like, oh, yeah, he's actually really close to these people. Um, And then you also get the idea that, you know. He feels very alone in this flight because he's the only one seeing the the, uh, troll or whatever it is on the outskirts of the plane. But he's so very close to everybody else on the plane as well. And it's kind of an interesting um, dynamic between being very close to everybody but also feeling super alone in what you're experiencing. Um, It's kind of cool. I like
1: that. I really like the close-ups that George Miller does for um – On John Lithgow, just because his facial expressions are so yeah great, they're so they're so big and rubbery and just like you know when
0: he does the close up of Lithgow staring out the airplane window and we're looking from we're looking from outside on the wing in, he looks very spooky in that scenario too. Like he looks uh, almost like the troll with his features because he's so harried, he's very pale, his hair's (laughs) all over the place, Uh, he's sweaty. Uh, he also looks very, you know, ghoulish in that respect. And I like that. Um, and I think that the troll actually looks fairly good in this too, for the, for the special effects, um, because they do have it so darkened that you can't really see the actual features of it. You get a little bit, but you don't see like the full light lighted, uh, version of the Mm -hmm. troll, um, which makes it all the better, because I feel like if you were to see the actual lighting of that creature, it would kind of take away the You're effect. it's like, oh, that's a
1: doll. Yeah.
0: But I like at the end where um, you kind of see it up close when he opens the window, and you see it, like, staring in at him. No, he and doesn't then-
1: open the window. He shoots the window.
0: Oh, well, I was talking about when he actually, when he when he's uh, taking that sedative and nearly falls asleep, no. and then he kind of whips around and opens the window, and there's the troll. Uh, But, yeah, when he shoots the window, too, you have that scene where he – the troll kind of comes up to him and gives him that uh, Dikembe, like, finger wag. (laughs) no, Or Sonic the Hedgehog, like, no, Uh no, 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 which kind of gives the troll character as well. And then you're wondering, like, what the fuck does this troll do, like – He's day just, to day, just, just like topping around
1: on planes. Like no, fuck this plane. I would be. I would really love it if Dikembe's finger wag came from that troll. Like no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I, I do have to wonder. Like, is the uh, troll's occupation just like take down all the fucking
1: planes? You know, just like it's in their airspace. He just eats. No, he just eats metal. Just, he just uh, wants the metal. Yeah. He's like a uh, uh, metal gremlin.
0: He's, yeah, or you know what, maybe maybe metal is like their currency, so he's like, I've got a, you know, he's like a copper stripper. It's <laughs> like, I'm going to take some from this airplane, <laughs> go sell it off. But yeah, I like the gremlin thing.
1: I just like, too, by the way, I really love the fact that when John Lithgow grabs the air marshal's gun, he's going to shoot the window out. No one's like, jumps at him to stop him, like, because they're all like. It's not going to decompress the plane or anything. I don't think people understood at that time what, like, happened in airplanes. No, by nineteen in 1964 in Goldfinger, that's how Goldfinger dies in the end fight between him and Bond. They're on a plane and they fire off a gun and it breaks the window and Goldfinger gets sucked out.
0: But did, you know, like, normal people riding in airplanes really
1: understand the risks of that? All the old people on that plane, I guarantee you saw Goldfinger.
0: <laughs> like, I was just thinking, like, you know... People were still smoking on planes at that time. Hey, 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 fucking hey. Fucking
1: terrible idea. We, and we need that back. Make smoking great again. Come on, Trump. Do it. Hold up. Hold up. That's not what, uh,
0: um, what's that, uh, that group that wants to ban all cigarette smoking from every single movie ever?
1: Oh, like the kids? Shit, yeah, the huh? kid. yeah. They want to. Bands all smoking. You know I want to Ludovici and technique those children. like, you watch. Here's Cowboy Bebop. Look at Spike Spiegel. Isn't mm. he so cool? Fucking smoking his hair. Look at Lupin. Oh, he's so badass. Look at look at Sean Connery and Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, smoking Clint's is got cool. Clint's got a big fat cigar in his mouth. Yeah, it's even cooler. Smoking is cool. Uh, no. should you know what you should do? You should watch. Thank you for smoking. Yeah, because it's a great movie on about about the whole thing.
0: Yeah, um, I think this nightmare at twenty thousand feet is my
1: favorite. I will say I don't know why Spielberg chose George Miller to be one of the directors. Inspired, inspired choice. Yeah, I'll say that because up to that point, it's not like George Miller's filmography was uh Very deep outside of the Mad Max movies and Mm -hmm. maybe one other movie. Yeah, I don't really know where that came from either. Again, like I said. I would say, granted, his filmography is pretty shallow because he's gone long gaps without making movies, but. Yeah. I mean,
0: Dante and Landis had done a lot of other things prior to this and Mm. they're pretty much part of the pack of the 80s, but yeah, Miller, not as much, so I don't really know where that, that pick came from, but. It was a good choice because I think his is probably the strongest segment in this in this film definitely gets and even so like it, it's kind of funny that I find both Landis and Spielberg's segments to be some of the the weaker ones in this whereas Dante's and uh, uh Miller's are actually the better so you have you know that's sort of like you wouldn't expect that but definitely think that. That's the case in Twilight Zone, the movie. And
1: I would say, too, Miller's is probably the best visually, like, directed. Yeah. Because if you know anything about his movies, they're all very n- vision-focused. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, talk, you know, not very, there's not a lot of dialogue going on. In it, so everything's kind of portrayed by what's going on in the shots. Yeah. And, you know, he does a very good job of it. Granted, John Lithgow, of course, as always, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best of it, not just in this um, one short, but overall probably the best overall performance. I'd say him and Vic Morrow. I think Vic Morrow did a really good job in his first one, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I mean, I think Nightmare at 20,000 Feet it has a really good storyline in it in general, because you do have that paranoia of flying, especially with someone who's panicked about flying. Um, and so you have that element of like, is it really happening? Is it not? Is it is it my imagination? You know, he's popping a lot of pills as well, so you know, you never really know if it's real or not. Um until the very end when that guy's smoking a cigar underneath uh possibly fuel dripping.
1: Yeah, airplane. as he's as he's sitting there. Yeah, check the engines, check the lines, I wanna see if there's any fuel leaking. Hold on, let me let my cigar up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Very safe. Very safe uh technician on that one.
1: He's gonna be like the guy in Scream Three. He's like the one that dies, the one who smells the gas, <laughs> <laughs> the cast. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, definitely my favorite. I think this one is uh, probably the best of the best of the segments. A lot. Yeah. Um, did you want to say anything more about the film or should we rate it?
1: No, I think that's it.
0: I think we got to pretty much everything. We talked about the score. We talked about all the actors, all the stories, the prologue and the epilogue. Um
1: Dan Aykroyd. And Dan his Aykroyd. That's
0: right. Dan Aykroyd. What are we doing, doing my a Girl? My Very good uh rendition of Hawaii Five O. Yeah. What are
1: we When we what are we doing, My Girl?
0: My girl. I can't. I don't want to break my heart again. <laughs> <laughs> Tear jerker. Dan Tear
1: Aykroyd jerker. and Macaulay Culkin's Finest hour. That's right.
0: Um, all right, so we got to give this thing a rating, and I got to come up with a rating scale for it. One, you don't have one. I don't have one. Um, out of 10
1: peanut butter burgers.
0: Mm, out of 10 peanut butter burgers, what would you give uh, to Twilight Zone the movie?
1: I'd give it a six. Very mixed bag, um, storytelling wise. Um, even though the whole thing is screams a, a fucking Spielberg production. Um, very mixed bag. Expected a lot more, from, especially from John Landis, because I really like John Landis' films. Um, his short and the prologue and epilogue, the whole is very weak. You know, it's enjoyable for the fact that Dan Aykroyd's in it, mm-hmm. but that's about it. You know, compared to, especially after just watching Creepshow, very weak for a wraparound. John Landis' story's very... Unfortunately, not nuanced and disjointed because of the circumstances of what happened with the filming. (laughs) Um, Steven Spielberg's short is what really weighs this movie down. It's so fucking, just obnoxiously whimsical and so unlike a Twilight Zone episode and what's going on with the rest of the stories. You know, it's just... ah, It's just... pisses me off just thinking about it. <laughs> the last two are very good, well done, um, and I think interesting retellings of classic Twilight Zone episodes. Um, I think having Burgess Meredith on as a narrator was a great idea, but he's totally underutilized. You know, definitely th- doesn't give you the Rod Serling impression at all. Um, Would have been great to see, as you said, use him more. i like to also... Wrap up the stories that we just watched to give you that little fable-esque, like, moral to the story. But overall, honestly, to be honest with you, if this movie didn't have the what happened with Vic Morrow and John Landis, you know, the John Landis shooting, probably be buried in everyone's filmography. Mm. Like, nobody would remember this film, probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would give it a 6.5, I think.
0: Uh, and really, the only thing that buoys that is because of The Nightmare at thirty thousand 20,000 feet. Um, I think that's probably the best story in this, in this film. Uh, in the last two stories, I think it helps that they're fairly good, um, despite the fact that It's a Good Life is a little too long, um, because that helps kind of – even out the rest of the film um you want to end on a high note and I think it does uh whereas the first couple stories just really don't resonate the first one John Lannis's is really a disappointment um it just doesn't have much of a plot to go off of and the ending is so abrupt that it just doesn't really get anything uh within its story like as a moral or philosophical philosophical uh Uh, theme, anything like that. It just doesn't really go anywhere, which like I said, is not really, it's not their fault per se, but it could have ended better. It could have had narration that helped it end. Um, and I think Steven Spielberg is a really poor story. You know, it's just, it's a heartwarming story for sure. I guess if you would like that, but in the twilight zone, the movie, you're not really looking for that. It seems out of place. It's not really, you know. Normally, there's something in that this uh, Twilight Zone story where there's a moralistic attitude there that kind of um, abuts with uh, <clears throat> contemporary culture. Um, some thematic resonance that makes sense with it, and that one doesn't really have much to it except for the fact that like. Old people
1: are youthful. I know. Be always, you know, no matter your age, just be youthful at heart.
0: Yeah. And it just you know, it's it's a nice sentiment and all, but I just don't think it fits with the rest of the Twilight Zone movie. Um, so that really it does, it really weighs it down, especially as a second segment. It's uh you know, it's a slog through that. So you really gotta get through those first two film segments in the film before you can really get to the better part of the movie. Uh, which is not a good thing for yours and that's why I give it just above a like, you know, mediocre score uh at 6.5. Um but the rest of it, you know, again, Spielberg's got a lot of his hands in this and you can tell uh with the score and and all that. Um but I think they do an okay job of re-envisioning some of the twilight zone episodes i don't know that the the movie itself really matches the tone of the the show too much but they did their best and some really pull through like george miller's um so it's you're right it's a mixed bag you get some good ones you get some bad ones um <clears throat> at only four uh segments you're hoping for more good than bad segments <laughs> Uh, and that's not really the case. So that's, you know, that's not a great anthology. Um, and I do think some of the controversy really helped this film get a name for itself. And also just having the name The Twilight Zone in its title is is enough to, like, get people attracted to it. So that helps, too. But overall, yeah, I was, as my first watch, I wasn't super impressed with the movie. I will say that. So All what do right. we got next? The movie we got next we're moving on to the 90s next time um, and we are going to do um, a movie that I'm trying to think of how to uh, how to describe it uh, we're gonna do a movie that has many okay here's one it's uh again based off of a TV series. Are you afraid of the dark? No oh, not that
1: one damn
0: darn. Goosebumps? No, not that one. Damn, but it is, and in, in, it's an early '90s movie as well. Go with that. Candyman. Mm. So everybody will have to see. They'll have to tune in next week for it. Um, as we get to the next film in our end Halloween series. Uh, thank you for listening to this one. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever uh, podcasting app you use. We're on it. Subscribe to us and leave us a nice review. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. We're on Twitter at blood and black rum. We have an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com that you can write to and let us know what you want us to cover on the show. And also we have a Patreon page where you can donate to us. That's patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. You can donate to us uh, and it helps us maintain the the podcast uh, subscription fees and all that jazz. So thanks for whatever you can donate. Uh, again, we'll be back next week with our next Anthem Halloween episode that takes place in the 1990s, and we hope to see you then. Take care.